0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin.
1: And this is Robbie Martin. Welcome.
0: What's going on, Robbie?
1: Nothing much. You uh, you just got back from the Zeitgeist Festival in Berlin?
0: I did, and it was amazing. Berlin is full of really energetic, enthusiastic, young people who really give a shit about what's going on. and It was super inspiring to be around so many people who are like, you know, just young and, and really, um, excited about all these new, you know, the new consciousness shift. And they're all kind of like working to build their own ecological, like open source ecology and technological stuff. There was like a 3d printer there and it was just really cool. Met a lot of great people, um, got super motivated and Berlin is just a really amazing city. It's full of art. Um, just really interesting. It kind of reminds me of Japan in the sense that people are like like they experienced a really horrible, devastating time. And so it's like, they're almost like on the cutting edge of like all this new shit. Cause like they have, they have like humility, you know, they don't think they're the fucking best and greatest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them probably do. I mean, there there is like a really weird resurgence of neo-Nazism too. There was this one guy who came up to me at the festival and I just like, he just looked like he could be a neo-Nazi, <laughs> not that I like to like, you know, have like jump reactions to what people look like, but he gave me this like USB drive and he was like, you really need to look at this. And I was like, is this Holocaust stuff? And he was like, yes. And I was like, I don't want it.
1: Wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Why, wait, what was that? Why was that your like first I reaction?
0: I don't know. I had no, I, because you I know that it's like, feeling? because I know that it's like illegal to even discuss. In Berlin, in Germany, you, know, you can't even talk about the Holocaust, which is totally insane.
1: Like you can't, you can't. Um yeah you, you can't know, like question denial it yeah or, or yeah. like
0: revisionism and so mm-hmm. the second that i saw him giving me like a usb drive i was like i have a feeling that this is about the holocaust and i don't want it
1: <laughs> well not would be funny if it was like what if it was just like somebody just trying to make like you would get caught at like the border with like a usb drive just filled to the brim with like, what <laughs> if it was like child shit?
0: porn or something i mean oh my god who knows god. what it is what if you put that on your computer you know
1: well that's a perfect that's a perfect segue into the um this whole weird Matt De Hart. Yeah, so uh, tell people who thing. this
0: guy is, because.
1: Um. So yeah, Matt De Hart. I had never heard of him before, and I uh, looking at his Twitter account, he's already followed by some of these like sort of big timey, you know, privacy um, journalists like Jeremy Scahill is following him and a bunch of other people. Um. And I guess what was weird was you know Abby and I were you know we'd done an episode on on the anthrax attacks back in, I think maybe 2011, long time ago. Mm -hmm. It was like when we first started doing the podcast, Um, it was pretty, it got, it got some attention. It didn't really make too many waves. And then I put out American Anthrax, the film, um, you know, as a found footage documentary that sort of explained why the anthrax attack uh, uh, official explanation makes zero sense um, and how they pinned it on a a dead man who had committed suicide and then, you know, it got like maybe 15,000 views on YouTube, which I was pretty happy with. It wasn't like a huge amount. And then just randomly this this free Matt DeHart Twitter account like pins a tweet to the top of their page saying like, Abby and Robbie Martin got uh, everything right. And they like link to our our discussion on breaking the set about the 2001 anthrax attacks. This Buzzfeed story that was posted on the Twitter account, this just sort of this like extremely long expose on this this hacker um, Matt DeHart, who had some association with Anonymous at one point. He was loosely affiliated with WikiLeaks, and he got caught in some kind of child pornography sting operation or some kind of FBI entrapment. Um,
0: he tried to go seek asylum in Canada, and he got rejected.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit unclear. Like the story had so much information in it that I can't, I can't sit here and give you an exact play by play account of it. But what stood out to me, of course, in the actual, in the actual Buzzfeed article, let me just read you what it actually says. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So I had known about Matt Dehart for like a month or so. Um, but I just didn't really understand his story. So I didn't know really the complexities of this. And so I was as surprised as you were Robbie to see him. I, I at first I was like, wait, is this is like official Twitter thing? Cause I was like, w- why is he talking about anthrax and saying like, we got everything right. It was really strange. And then I saw the Buzzfeed article and then I saw Marcy Wheeler, um,'s article and we'll talk about that in a second. But
1: you know, this outlet Buzzfeed, um, it mostly puts out complete garbage uh, and they even played a role in like the sort of anti-Russian propaganda wave that happened. But just inexplicably an article appeared that's really in depth, all about Matt DeHart's story. And I guess there's a revelation in it that wasn't previously um, disclosed by him. I mean, to my knowledge, maybe it was, and, and this is probably the biggest public expose of this, but the claim that he made was Says, according to Matt, he was sitting at his computer at home in September 2009 when he received an urgent message from a friend. A suspicious encrypted folder of files had just been uploaded anonymously to the shell. I guess they had like a place for people to upload files. Say, as Matt read through the file, he says he discovered even more incendiary material among the 300 odd pages of slides, documents, and handwritten notes. One folder contained what appeared to be internal documents from an agrochemical company expressing culpability for more than thirteen thousand deaths related to genetically modified organisms, um, and uh, they don't say the company's name. Uh, Marcy Wheeler suspected it might be Monsanto. She was she was sort of speculating this, um, and this that's only if this is a real document that he claims to have seen it could it could be made up information we don't know for sure right and um, the,
0: so the documents and this is what Marcy talks about on her um, blog empty wheel is that there was like three different documents from different agencies right and so she was speculating how could one whistleblower obtain like such a wide swath of like uh, Yeah, even documents. if it was submitted
1: by an anonymous yeah. uh, person to this quote unquote shell thing. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. So, so I mean, the most explosive part of this I haven't even read yet. And that is, I'm just yeah. quoting the article, what appeared to be internal documents from the FBI field notes on the Bureau's investigation into the worst biological attack in US history that anthrax laced letters that killed five Americans and sickened 17 others shortly after September 11th. Although the attacks were officially blamed on government scientists who committed suicide after he was identified as a suspect, Matt says the documents on the shell tell a far different story. It had already been revealed that the US Army produced the AIM strain of anthrax, which we already know. Um, But the report built the case that the CIA was behind the attacks as part of an operation to fuel public terror and build support for the Iraq war. Um,
0: and, and for people who haven't been following the anthrax thing, please watch American Anthrax. It's my brother's documentary. You can find it on Media Roots. Just Google Media Roots and American Anthrax. We'll put it on the timeline. And also, I mean, the best case scenario of the anthrax attacks is that there is a bioterrorist still running free with access to high grade bio in the in the U.S. Yeah. government. I mean, that is the best case scenario. So that alone, that, is best case scenario, that yeah. alone should be very <laughs> worrisome to everyone in the establishment and everyone outside of the establishment being like, wait, this was never solved. It was a crime that was never solved. Five people died. Wave of hysteria helped us get into Iraq. Something needs to happen to get to the bottom of this. So.
1: I would even just go one step further and say the best case scenario is, is what you just said, plus the addition of that person who's a runnin', running around free bioterrorist inside the U.S. government has enough power to be able to quash the entire investigation mm-hmm. and like lead it down to completely like fake roads. That one of them ended up working because the guy died and they could just pin it on them.
0: Yep. It's, so, yeah. <laughs> like, Who has the power to, to shape the investigation and to squash it? That's the real question here.
1: Um, yeah. And- and that's, and it is, I mean, it's a really scary oh. thing. And I think that um, hopefully more revelations will come out, but this, my fear is that this might be um, a red herring, complete red herring, but it's so salacious. And the guy was obviously trying to draw our attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, well,
0: a big problem with the document is that Canadian authorities seized his drive and so uh-huh. e- we won't be able to tell if the documents were authentic unless the, now the Canadian government actually gives them back. So did well, that's you a read good point. that? Yeah, yeah. So I it's did, like
1: yeah. I'd still like to hear from his right. in his own words what he saw.
0: Well, definitely keep everyone posted on that. It's very interesting, um, very out of the blue. I'm really happy people are talking about it again, and especially people like Marcy Wheeler. Um, Because this all really ties into, you know, Judith Miller, that woman who is the stenographer who martyred herself to protect Karl Rove. And she was the New York Times reporter who planted all the WMD shit. And now we have another WMD scare, totally fake, um, with Netanyahu. I mean, going out and, you know, first he oversteps Obama to come and speak to Congress. Of course, you can argue that that's all political theater because nothing's really changed when it comes to policy about Israel. But it's the WMD bullshit that he's been fearmongering the world with the last decade about Iran's non existent nuclear weapons program. And I say non existent because it literally does not exist. Even the Mossad, Israeli intelligence, said during the ACME bomb chart presentation that. Iran had no nuclear capability. So this was Israel's own intelligence services countering Bibi's ridiculous rhetoric in front of the UNGA just last year. Um, so that kind of shows you where his head's at. I mean, he obviously won the election for a lot of reasons, um, A, because he was funded massively by American families. Um, I don't. I don't actually. Yeah. What were you just saying?
1: I was just going to say there's so much meddling and like involvement from U.S. citizens and um, a lot of wealthy Jewish people, pretty much all over the world, to like play a role in the Israeli elections. It's like it's so weird. It's, a, it's such a heavily foreign-driven uh, election in a lot of ways. Like um, just because so many people around the world see themselves like invested in is- Israel's fate, uh, it is. It is surreal. Um, and the yeah the nuclear program um scandal i mean this that's been hyped up and fear mongered to us since the middle of the bush administration just re, just people need to just remember back to what obama has already done <laughs> under his watch to try to um combat this supposed nuclear weapons program uh, in iran the mek um, in conjunction with the Mossad and obviously also in conjunction with the U.S. government and CIA had a hand in assassinating those nuclear scientists that several of them got car bombed um, in, uh, in Iran and uh, innocent people died in those car bombings. It wasn't just like the guy was in the car by himself. He had like other people in the car. It's just an example of like the lengths that not just the Israeli government, but the U.S. government is willing to go to like stop them at every turn from re- enriching uranium or getting any closer to like that process um, and Stuxnet, which was mm-hmm. fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We invented a, a one of the world's most dangerous viruses to actually physically disrupt their nuclear centrifuges. And we later admitted to it, like in the form of a leak by the fucking New York Times reporter, David Sanger, who was like, yep. Yeah, I think the article actually said that Obama was extremely proud of Stuxnet. It was one of the things that he would kind of, talk about behind the scenes as an achievement that he felt was really positive. Just like
0: killing bin Laden. Two great achievements. Stuxnet creating a fucking terrorist weapon online that can destabilize electrical grids and shit. And just unleashing it online. Great job. Creating this blueprint for any country to just take. Um, And then we have all these scares about the North Korea hacking Sony. Well, you know, Obama created Stuxnet, so... I don't, it yeah. just, it's just so dumb. And then like the, you know, the Bin Laden thing, his victory tour about Bin Laden. Someone at the Zeitgeist Festival was asking me what I thought about Bin Laden. And I was like, you know, I don't believe anything that we were told about Bin Laden and the death. And I was like, but it's such a shame that you're just called crazy if you even question anything. And I was like, but I do not believe what they told us. I'm sorry. Like, I yeah. just don't. And you're don't. not <laughs> saying that he's
1: still alive running no, around. Would no, no. It's just like there was that, that whole experience was so... Um, Jessica Lynch. I mean, that's the so only way. It really, bizarre. Dis- it was just like in the same way that the Jessica Lynch thing on the surface seemed like something was off about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Just it's just the same shit with the Bin Laden uh, assassination. I'm sorry, like the the fact that all their cameras somehow went off. That weird photo, that PR photo where they're all looking all furrowed brows at the t- the TV, like Obama and Hillary are in that room. You know, <laughs> all just the whole thing. That this burial at sea. The fact that Obama. Obviously, I don't think saw a photo of bin Laden that he could tell was him. And he's he's asked on 60 Minutes, did you see the photos? And he's like, yes. And, then, and the guy's like, what was your reaction? And he's like, that it was him. <laughs> and I was like, that would, so that, it was just odd. It was almost like he was overcompensating for the fact that he hadn't seen the photos and been able to tell it was him. And then later they said they re, they did DNA testing to match it. And then they never released that. And I just thought that was strange because you hear you have the, one of the most wanted men in the history of like crime. I mean, you know, besides maybe like mm-hmm. Hitler or something and you don't, you can't offer up any like photographic or scientific evidence at all, just to be able to like 100% prove that this is what happened. It just yeah. was, well, I just thought that was so odd.
0: So many bizarre things about that. I remember we had just done this huge podcast about it, um, when it happened because and went over all this was hilarious but it was like this victory death it was like all this bloodlust and people were drinking from the blood fountain and celebrating and all these (laughs) assholes were in front of the white house saying we killed saddam because they didn't know the difference between bin laden and saddam one of luke's best videos ever yeah i mean that was amazing yeah check out luke radowski's video on that but i mean when i woke up that day and i was like oh wow like bin laden is actually dead i was like holy shit like wow you know and then I the first article that I saw was like they dumped his body in the ocean to in accordance with Muslim tradition and I was like that isn't that doesn't exist like that, <laughs> there, that, doesn't, ha- that doesn't make any sense like my Muslim I mean, friends were like that Mus- doesn't exist
1: well all my Muslim friends when they go to funerals they go in a boat and they <laughs> dump the body off of the side I mean that's kind of the, the, the tradition
0: <laughs> and also do you remember all the seal team six so there's a seal team six obviously like a group of i don't know like 20 or something dudes who went in for this raid and all of them died except two guys in a helicopter crash after the raid and which without going into the conspiratorial realm it is just really interesting because the surviving families have questioned like why was it that all of the most highly trained specialized soldiers were all on one helicopter that's unprecedented it's just weird. Nothing about it makes any sense. I remember Fox News was going around saying we have the guy who actually killed bin Laden for like this exclusive interview, but how do we even know that was the guy who killed him? There was 20 people in the helicopter who died. I mean, who were all these people? What was their story? And another thing that 60 Minutes did about the bin Laden thing, they asked some other guy, because you know they recreated the compound and yeah, trained for like six months and did the polio vaccination program, like went through hell and back to try to get bin Laden. Right.
1: Oh, you mean they, like they actually, you mean like they physically recreated the yeah. compound, like at, like in like a fire, yeah, like a yeah, f- yeah. fire training thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and even the guy who was there supposedly, and this was years ago, um, was asked by 60 minutes, like, because he was just talking about how they had trained and da 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 And, and then he was like, you know, it didn't look like him. And the, the interviewer was like, well what do you mean and he was like he was like did it was it him and he was like it didn't look like the photos we'd been shown like it didn't he just like it it was very strange like nothing about the entire bin laden thing made any sense and then they only showed us that one photo of an old man sitting in a burlap sack literally the only photo that they ever showed us of bin laden in that room so you know call us crazy but i just I'm sorry I just don't believe these like Totally sensational stories especially when The Pat Tillman shit turns out to be fake The Jessica Lynch shit turns out To be fake we're not saying Bin Laden's Alive it just seems very convenient And just totally Bizarre that they couldn't Provide any evidence to the American people and don't Tell me that it was because of national security because They had no problem showing Gaddafi getting raped By a bayonet and his son And Saddam's sons Blown (laughs) up and circulating them all over the internet and TV. So, I mean, well,
1: that was, that was crazy. The Bush administration, like they they, wanted it. They wanted that. Um, they wanted to like make Saddam suffer basically like emotionally. Yeah. So they like put him out and, uh, it was really graphic. It was like, you saw like the Y incision, like autopsies, their bodies were laid out on a slab. I mean, both sons just laying there like, um, like this prize, you know, it was, it, it was really disturbing. And, uh, but going back to the Bin Laden um, raid, I mean, back to what you were saying about the SEAL Team 6 thing, what's interesting is there are there is some like right wing, I would say there is like a sect of the right, sort of almost like generic right wing in this country. I think
0: Obama killed the SEAL Team 6.
1: Yeah, like yeah. Michael Savage yep. talks about it dad. all the time. Yeah, he interviewed yeah. the dad of the guy. Really, it's really fascinating to see that because it's like... Part of it, I'm sure, stems from this idea that they don't, it's like they don't believe Obama would have been able Mm -hmm. to pull it off. (laughs) Like they don't want to believe it. But I mean, that's not even where where we're coming from. We're coming from the idea that they never really offered any proof. And then all these suspicious things happened in the wake of it. The deaths, the contradicting stories between Mm -hmm. the different people. And then also, I don't know if you heard about this. This happened even later where one of the guys, I think that guy on that interview you were talking about, who was like, I didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. He wrote a book. Um, made a bunch of money. And then another SEAL Team uh, Six guy wrote another book claiming he was the one who shot Bin Laden. And then they like, and then like a third book came out, I think even is, you know, everyone's sort of painting it as oh, this is just, they're trying to grab for the fame. Like, why are these guys so greedy for the fame or whatever? Like they can't decide who, you know, but to me it points more towards the fact that they, maybe they don't even know. Like it's just, yeah. and they're just all trying to like, cause they know that there's not a, they know that there is a vacuum there to write a narrative there really wasn't like it's already kind of made up or manipulated in the first place so they're just you know why not just claim i'm the guy who shot him i mean but then again
0: it goes back to the whole paradoxical reality it's like maybe it maybe he did die in the raid that day and maybe they purposefully put out all this disinformation and just like super secretive so that or just a lack of information yeah it's like yeah it's like who the hell knows i don't think bin laden's alive at all i think that he has been dead and i I, i'm not saying that that he didn't die in the raid i'm just saying it's very weird nothing about it makes sense and you know what here we are not understanding like what reality really is because we haven't been told anything that gives us any sort of solace about the facts Mm -hmm. and of course that breeds all sort of theories and i and going back to the improvisational artist that helped putin reestablish power um you're purposefully inserting paradoxes in the political reality that we live in and it creates very very um it's very hard to follow it makes people feel very disempowered and just totally out of the loop and confused yeah it's like everyone knows what happened with the bin laden thing we'll never know and it makes you sound crazy to even question it you know Mm -hmm. Deathers they call
1: they called people um i remember right after it happened they already had a word for people oh great you're a deather Mm. if you don't think uh bin laden was killed in the raid or or something like that i mean i just wanted you know all i wanted is some kind of proof uh that they killed him in the raid and i'm not you know not to be morbid but yeah i would have liked to see some photographic evidence i would have wanted to see those photos that obama claims that uh he saw you know um
0: i would have liked him to be captured alive because oh absolutely no no that's a way better point Um, yeah what are we even talking about that's the guard the guardian and i know that journalists obviously should not give up their sources and we've talked about this dozens of times however if the guardian was able to find the most wanted man in the fucking world and do like this crazy in-depth interview with him how hard is it really to find bin laden during that time You know what I mean? Like the 2002 Guardian interview that happened.
1: Well, that that brings up the great point of, I mean, and this is true. If anybody goes back and looks at the very beginning of the Afghanistan war, the Bush administration like turned the tables really early on already on us and made it very obvious from the very first uh, planes being sent over there to bomb Mm -hmm. that they were not going to capture bin Laden. That was right. not their purpose. They actually said that they were going to do it like in the next like uh, like like three weeks after the initial stage. So why on earth, if their whole purpose was to go and capture bin Laden there, I mean, or at least take him out, why on earth would you give him a three week lead time to escape through the Tora Bora mountains to Pakistan? It just makes absolutely no sense if that was really our intention. I mean, so it just, to me, it's just more proof that the Afghanistan war was based completely on false pre tenses as well we had no intention really of that was never our main purpose at all and speaking
0: of the afghanistan resounding success of the uh, i'm sorry how many year occupation what is it 2015 so 14 year occupation of afghanistan now great job it's doing really really well the taliban is totally defeated women are liberated they're not wearing burkas it's a bustling metropolis excellent job u.s Um, of course it's the opposite of that but what's funny about the whole Mujahideen you know Russia war in the 80s the proxy war that happened there is that McCain and this is a point that we left out of our last podcast that McCain actually used the US backing the, the Mujahideen which of course later turned into the Taliban you know fronted by Bin Laden how we called him this anti-Soviet hero all across the mainstream media. McCain to this day this shows you how senile this man is he actually said that it was so successful that that's why we should arm Syrian rebels didn't didn't he say that
1: yeah he well used i mean it was the like,
0: resounding success of afghanistan
1: it was like the argument i think that he was making was the same one that jamie Kirk was tr- was making is that w- why can't we just like give weapons directly to these rebels rather than like having the congress vote on it and like going on through all these motions like they were just like wondering why we just can't circumvent like all the shit that's in place now and basically just give you know how just, is that an
0: argument how it's like, not is, i mean it's not an
1: it's just like it's just a like crazy person's <laughs> rant rant it's not really an argument at all
0: bizarre
1: but, but they both made that argument recently and i was i was floored by it because obviously you know the whole official narrative is that the mujahideen uh, eventually turned into al-qaeda and then attacked us on 9-11 mm-hmm. um, so i thought that that was weird that they would even suggest that because most people know that that was what, you know, that's what they were told is that that's what that led to. So, it's just kind of odd that they would even go there. I didn't, I'm shocked by it. It's it's really strange, honestly. Right. I mean, it. It's almost like was that like a per like? Did they make that talking point as like a trial balloon, like slash conceptual joke or something? Like, it's let's like another see
0: another improvisational yeah, artistry. Yeah, <laughs> let's see how. Let's
1: just test one. Let's like a trial balloon of like how ridiculously. <laughs> over the we can make one of these and just see if people like just see if people can like even handle it, you know, anymore.
0: Um, talk about Tom Cotton. The weird. Okay. So I didn't even know who the hell Tom Cotton was. Holy shit. Why do all of these people look like sort of like inbred Paul Ryan style? So, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's sad to say that, but it's true. It's like, what is going on? Tom Cotton almost looks like he had, there's something wrong with him physically. Well, okay, I feel bad saying that, but I'm I'm being serious.
1: Well, he definitely looks like a very specific, like uh, <laughs> DC style kind of guy, you know. And uh, he was a he's a veteran, I guess. He served oh, in Iraq God. and Afghanistan. So there's all these pictures of him online, like holding the machine Super guns and stuff. It. Um, and so he's like a he's kind of like a GI Joe, you know just served in the wars really extremely uh cartoonishly right-wing hawkish he said that he doesn't think uh, anybody in gitmo should be let free they should all rot in hell
0: oh that was him he oh, said good. that like a, a
1: month ago oh, and good, then good, uh, good. and then his most recent thing um i thought was really fascinating because it got all these headlines because what he did was he got um Uh, A bunch of Republican congressmen to sign on to a letter to the Iranian government, basically telling the Iranian government not to cooperate with um, the Obama administration to to like broker an Iran uh, deal about like their nuclear program or something. Shocking. Shocking.
0: That is so. It is shocking that anyone would feel like they have the power to like undermine. Like, who the fuck does Tom Cotton think he is?
1: Well, it's just one thing to like be really hawkish and act like diplomacy is a bad idea and like caving in. But it's a whole other thing to try to like derail actual ongoing Mm -hmm. diplomacy. That's just so. I just, can't, I mean, I've never heard of somebody trying to do something like that before. But what was even more shocking is that like ton of um, congressmen signed on to it. And yeah, senators, like how many, 46 something? Something like that, yeah. Um, even other people who weren't in government signed on to it, like Jeb Bush signed on to oh, it. Oh, wow, um, great. Senator John McCain signed on to it, and then later seemed like he regretted it a little bit. <laughs> and then, uh, and then who else? Oh, uh, Rand Paul Excuse signed on me? to it. Yeah. Excuse me? And that was the thing that I think that finally what? broke, shattered um, sort of the base wow. for Ron Paul. I mean, you remember, you know, Justin Ramon, mm-hmm. Raimondo? Yeah, I saw him he's, talking about it. He's kind of like one of those guys who is like, he, he's pretty like dead on on most of his commentary, but he's still holding on to the idea that Rand Paul will be like a good candidate. And then this just broke it for him. Like he was just like, okay, I'm out. Like I noticed he it was just too much. So, wow. I think, I mean, for people who are kind of more on the liberal side who are trying to rooting for Rand Paul, I just think after this, it's going to be impossible. I mean, and remember what we were saying on your show is that why did the FBI never try to court Rand Paul or invite Mm -hmm. him on? I mean, this is like
0: him trying to court them almost.
1: Yeah, they've had a long running feud Basically, like where they're trying to basically get the Pauls kicked out of the party. I mean, Bill Kristol even said that he wants Ron Paul to leave the Republican Party. He doesn't understand why he is a Republican. And then he was even funny. He was like, uh, he's like most people like preface their criticism of Ron Ron Paul saying, "Oh, he's a good guy," and you know he brings a lot to the debate. And I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think he's a good guy. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think he brings anything to the debate. <laughs> like, like that's how the level of disdain he has, you know. So I just it, it was interesting to see Rand Paul cave and do this. I mean, way dumber in a lot of ways than him endorsing Mitt Romney in 08. I mean, or not in 08, in um. What was that two 2012 election.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So absolutely shocking. Um, but it was weird for me because the only time I had heard of this fucking guy before was because of my obsession with the foreign policy initiative, um, and looking at all their videos online. And I saw that he did a talk with them in November of 28th, 2012. And it's kind of like the whole subject of the, um, of the talk is like, what is, what was it like to be like a, a you know, in war or in battle and they're going to have to like vote on, vote on these things and like terrorism legislation and stuff. So they were kind of like grooming him, you know, two years ago. And then all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere, you know, he's barely in the news at all before this and um, generates this huge controversy with his letter. And I'm sure the Obama administration really wants to gener- you know, wants this to get around too, because it's so shocking that someone would do this. It's almost kind of like it's the first time in a long time I think the Obama administration is like really happy to see in a way like the neocons sort of coming out and doing something this public and disgusting because it makes him look good kind of by comparison.
0: Yeah, I mean this is like... This is like the only good thing that I'll... I mean, it's not, it's not even good. I hate even being in this stupid reality because it's not true. It's like obviously sanctioning Iran and, and isolating it is awful and it's done nothing but damage and I... I go in line with Gareth Porter's work and I listen to the Mossad when it tells me that Iran doesn't have a nuclear program. So I hate to even say Obama's doing a good job by pursuing diplomatic negotiations, but, you know, we know how like hawkish the right wing is. And so, of course, it shifted the entire narrative to the right, just like they do on every issue when it comes to foreign policy. So it makes Obama look like a fucking saint when you have like these crazy rogue agents doing stuff like this. Um, yeah. and it just makes it basically shifts the narrative where it's like well Obama's doing everything right when in reality you could be obviously doing a shitload more when it comes to Iran but yeah I mean these people Tom Cotton and and Netanyahu coming over here and basically like saying that we should just like invade Iran I mean it's just it's out of control and the Jeb Bush thing is really interesting too because this is my question about 2016 there's never gonna be another like Obama you know i feel like that like bush was so crazy and bad and the world was on the brink of like this shift and then there was obama which i i totally see how people bought into the obama stuff completely understand hillary and jeb if that's literally going to be the two options for 2016 i don't see how anyone can be suckered into thinking that hillary's remotely liberal
1: i, I mean in it yeah. She's
0: been so hawkish. Like It's very easy to find out that she's extremely war hawkish. She's on par with McCain when it comes to foreign policy. And then and then you have Jeb. And, and not to mention that it's a Clinton and Bush again. What are people going to do? Are people going to boycott en masse these elections? Are we going to see... I'm just really curious of what the voters are going to do um, or what the populace is going to do to the run-up of this because if people are not upset and sick of this kind of dynasty continuous dynasty now then i don't know then i really
1: don't know well what's really weird to me is that you hear very little talk i mean i want to go back and mention some more things about this iran letter but just going on the election the you hear very little talk right now on the democratic side of things about who's going to primary against hillary clinton you're only hearing the republican side you know who's going to who are the contenders we already almost have the whole plate like platter spread of all the Republican candidates that we know of, you know, Ted Cruz, uh, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, um, uh, who else? Uh, Bobby Jindal, maybe Mitt Romney. um, I'm forgetting a couple other ones, but we know all those people. That's been in the news. Discussion has been going about those for a long time, but we're only hearing about Hillary Clinton, literally. Like we hear a little bit about Bernie Sanders and a little bit about Elizabeth Warren, but like, it's almost kind of just like a. Just like very, in the bag. Yeah, but it's just like, what the fuck? Like, why aren't more people? It's not like the Republicans have, you know, have all this more time to prepare. I mean, why wouldn't the Democrats also be talking about who's going to? I just find it very odd. It's just a, a huge lack of that discussion going on. And just the other day, I was listening to some generic left um, serious radio show. I don't even remember who it was. It was like. Um, it was a host that used to have a show on Air America and he was basically defending this idea that why should we primary anyone against Hillary? She's already been running for the last four years or the last eight years. Like she knows she she's like, she's, she deserves this. And he was like rationalizing this idea that we should not basically let democracy take place and just let her, Take the primary and let all the delegates just like not even like let her go through the delegate process and shit again. And then he started like acting like the delegates were trying to like fuck her, fuck with her during like the 2000, um, you know, eight elections, like they were trying to stifle her and stuff. And I just, from what I remember back then, is that she wouldn't let go even after it was clear that she wasn't going to get the nomination, like she wouldn't step down. That's what I remember happening. Isn't that what happened? Yeah, that she like fought tooth and nail. It was even got to the point it was so ridiculous that there was this bizarre event where they got where the press got on a plane and they were, and they were like, "Oh, whoops, Obama's not here. We don't know where he is." And then it was told later that he went to Diane Feinstein's house with her to to like hash out it, the like the like agree to disagree and and her to step down. I don't even really know. And then well, and then a bunch of other why people they said they probably
0: just agreed for her to be Secretary of State. You know?
1: Yeah, and then at that same time. They could have equally likely been at Bilderberg because that was another place that, um, you know, that was Hillary was supposedly there. I bet you
0: I bet you it was just like they knew they just made an agreement that he was like, you you know, you can be secretary of state and then you'll just do it next time. You'll just run. You know, you'll. Yeah. They just made that agreement, obviously, because I, I mean, Hillary definitely didn't want to capitulate. That's for sure. And but I don't I think, think it was relationship, too relationship.
1: Yeah. And I don't think the re- I think the relationship is always probably somewhat contentious i mean Mm -hmm. obama really did try to have like this you know gimmicky idea of like this team of rivals but i don't really think it it's it didn't help you know i mean probably just made things worse i mean that's in some ways why the bush administration was just like so fucking just hard ass like boom 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 like doing all these things because everybody in it was just like on the same page they were Mm -hmm. just like yep We already know what this is all about. Like half of us came from the fucking PNAC, you know, signatory list already. Like we, we know what's up. Like there's no, there's no like debate here. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the election's going to be a fucking nightmare though. Regardless, like it's It's going to be be weird. It's
0: going to be so awful. (laughs) It's going to be so awful. I just, I just can't even imagine Hillary Clinton, like people getting excited about it. I don't know. I just can't. I can't either. There's like no appeal to even women. I mean, I don't... She might as well be John McCain to me, and there's absolutely no distinguishing factor that redeems Hillary Clinton as anyone to me. The shit that I've read about her in the last couple years has terrified me. Like, when she ran against... When she was in the primary with Obama, I, I didn't even realize how crazy she was. But in Obama's national security team, now I know... And it's not good, folks. It's not good at all. It's really bad. So, you know, just like Rania was saying about Netanyahu, maybe this whole thing will accelerate the demise of our failed electoral system and really get people working to change it because we know it's completely screwed. We can't keep going like this. Um, So maybe this will just kind of push people into an awakening, you know?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, if the only like pushback we have against Hillary Clinton is from like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. That's not good no, either. No. Cause it's like their whole thing is all about like, um, you know, entitlements and like w- welfare and, and sort of like the economic side of things. But it's like, when it comes to the foreign policy, like I don't really remember them really saying very much at all. I no. mean, so, and I'm totally with you on that idea that that is the main thing that we need to fight against. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how many times um, these, these so-called liberal interventionists want to try to convince us that we need to go into these countries for humanitarian reasons. They, none of those reasons can be trusted. I'm sorry, they've lost Zero. all credibility. Zero. We've already, and, we already yeah. we already know that they wanted to invade all these countries and destabilize the Middle East. the the key word is destabilize? That's the part that should to worry people. It's not that they want to like take these places over and colonize them. In some ways, that would actually be more okay. I mean, it would at least be like more. It would be like stable. They wouldn't just well, leave was, Iraq in and like complete yeah. ruins. Why do you think that ISIS? I mean, it's almost like this this i i mean i feel like ISIS is like one of the best things to ever happen for the neocons in a long time because it's the perfect thing. It's like exactly what they they probably hoped would happen after 9/11 is that the arabs, you know, the muslim um est- extremists would get even more extreme, the arab populations would drift more away from America just so they can give them more of a reason to like fucking, you know, It's just, it's kind of another variant of the Cold War. It's It's another variant of the Cold War. (laughs) It's like you, you know, you, you turn your, um, you, uh, orient yourself a certain way towards your enemy and they're going to orient themselves back. And then it just, the, this sort of, that orientation just keeps getting more locked in and more intense. And in Um, case people
0: are like saying that this is a crazy conspiracy theory, um, Lee Feng, who's a great journalist and I just got hired by the intercept, um, Basically, he just wrote an article about how this phone call of a bank analyst was voicing a, a concern about how the Iran negotiations would depress weapons sales. This is what these people talk about. This is f- the, the it isn't a conspiracy theory.
1: Oh, that's from him. That yeah. article. Oh. Yeah. Wow. wow. I mean, this awesome. is
0: this is what's happening, guys. The war machine runs on war. I mean, it's very obvious. We're the biggest exporter of weapons. Um, If we really cared about terrorism, then we'd care about Saudi Arabia and Israel. And you know what? We don't. So you have to ask yourself, who benefits? qui bono. And it's pretty fucking obvious.
1: Yeah, the problem is it's not as like, I mean, when you look, when you go out there, you know, you could find obvious crossover like foreign policy initiative through an event um their last conference was was co-sponsored by raytheon you know that's a really yeah, obvious very blatant. mutual benefit to that experience right but at the on the other hand i mean i don't think that like people like bill crystal and robert kagan have much invested mm-hmm. in, in terms of monetarily into that system so it's kind of like why are they so determined to feed it i mean and obviously office-
0: ideologically connected
1: I mean, then that's the thing. Are they just ideologically connected or is there some greater sort of agenda here that, I mean, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that these weapons companies know that these are the people that are going to help them get their Mm -hmm. weapon sales locked in the best. You know, it's not even it's not it doesn't even really matter who's president it's who can sway the narrative and the dialogue and the debate more towards a hawkish like paradigm you know more towards the neoconservative paradigm more towards this idea of do we go into syria or not it's instead of of course we shouldn't go into syria you know it's yeah. like how and did even, they even become a it's just like what and I even mean,
0: beyond even beyond just the weapons sales i mean just the systems of control and psychological societal control of having an enemy i mean that's That's existed since the beginning of like nation states, you know, and obviously Hitler and Goebbels like perfected this kind of notion that you need to have this common enemy to unite the nation. Mm -hmm. That's that's like it's proven. It's obviously that's why we lived in this Cold War for so long. It was totally fake. Communism was never a threat. There was no domino effect. Look at the reversal of the Iron Curtain today Um, and now terrorism. There's no threat. Of terrorism to American citizens, you know, I mean, in fact, on all these previous podcasts, we were always saying, how come there's not more terrorism? But it's like, now that's what ISIS is. It's like, it was only a matter of time before something like ISIS came out of this vacuum.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, and it's kind of like, and it, I mean, it, it really is, it does go back to that Adam Curtis, the idea of that, like that avant-garde mm-hmm. art guy in <laughs> Russia who was like trying to create confusion because the more conflicts that you can like sort of perpetuate that are mm-hmm. going on at once, it's much harder for like an average person to be able to like take a stand on those individual right. conflicts. Instead, it just becomes this one giant mess mm-hmm. that just feels like the world is in chaos. And what do we do? We have to do something. It feels like it's it's paralyzing in a it way. Is. It's, it's paralyzing in the paralyzing. same way. Here's a good example. You know, like in the same way that all the terrorism fears we were being subjected to Early, early aughts that was paralyzing but now it's like foreign policy crisis paralyzing right. it's like there's so many different foreign policy or foreign crises happening that we might need to get involved in happening all at once that it's just like man i mean it's overwhelming it really is i mean I mean even the fact that um I mean just the fact that Iraq uh, uh, you know erupted into violence again and and, and Syria is going and Ukraine is going and I'm sure there's some other ones I'm forgetting still but just sort of the ongoing you know secret wars in the yeah, and then meanwhile and there's a one
0: there's literally a military operation going on every day across the African continent the US Africom like they've already said openly generals involved in Africom have said that they're at war with Africa literally at war With Africa. So that's a whole nother secret hidden war going on. When you look at the cobalt wars in the Congo, there's a genocide happening there. We've been training the military of the Congo that have been involved in like mass rape and murder but the cobalt wars there feed the military machine because cobalt is a very essential tool for military industrial complex and for drones especially and that goes into Israel and the Israeli production of drones and Israel's exported 60% of the drones in the world so it's almost this globalized extraction process you know and so that makes it even more paralyzing where it's like it's not even just the US it's Israel and it's Africa and it's like maintaining all these like militias and it's like super covert where no one even knows about that shit that's going on, but it's all interconnected.
1: Yeah. I didn't even know about all that. I mean, I'm, I'm very unaware of most of that mm-hmm. stuff. And I mean, just the stuff that's like pumped out to the public is overwhelming enough. I mean, that's a whole nother you know, level of, uh, of just stuff going on. And, but yeah, I mean, it is, it just does get to the point where it is so, Confusing, Um, but one
0: good thing that I heard—a little story—that will give people inspired is I know that we always speculate what really stopped the initial Syria bombing. And I know that we're already bombing Syria again because of ISIS. But initially, of course, Obama wanted to just bomb the regime and oust Assad very openly. And of course, he stepped down from that. I know there's a lot of speculation about what actually caused him to step down. But I just heard this story from Brian Becker of the Answer Coalition at this teach-in, the Spring Rising event that happened here in D.C. And he was saying that... So when Obama was going to make his press announcement about what he was going to do with Syria, like 300 people right out in front of the White House and it's within earshot of the Rose Garden. And so the press, the mainstream media had all set up waiting for Obama to come out and make this announcement. And Answer Coalition was all right there yelling, chanting like no war with Syria, no war with Syria. And because of this, they were like drowning out the press conference so much that Obama actually didn't come out for like forty-five minutes, and which left all of these like mainstream media reporters just sitting there tweeting what they were hearing, and they were just like, "We're waiting for Obama to make his announcement on Syria, and all we're hearing is like Chance saying no war with Syria." And it did at that moment that really did help shift the narrative because it forced, it injected it into the mainstream media. And I'm not saying that that's what we need to do, because that's completely unpredictable, and you never know when those moments are going to open up.
1: There's a huge Russia equation into that, too, that, um, that, you know, they basically, the White House floated out this talking point saying that if Syria relinquishes its chemical weapons, that they'll draw down their strike. And, like, immediately within hours of them releasing that press release, like, Russia and China were like, okay, great. Let's make it happen, and then like Russia, and then that's when Putin and uh, Obama met up and uh, discussed it. And I and I don't really know; they didn't really give very many details of like exactly how that plan was going to take place. So, but it almost seems like even a lot of like, I I wouldn't say left wing people, but people who aren't neocons, like are not believing that that's actually happening. They're like, well, how do we know he he doesn't you know that we're going to get all his chemical weapons? So they're like. I don't. There doesn't seem to be very much transparency to how that all happened, but yeah. Well, what
0: what how it was presented to me from the same guy. He was saying that Obama felt so much pressure from like basically the people, and there were so many um, journalists actually writing critically about it because they were getting pressure too from people. Yeah, and that he kind of Putin like threw him a bone by saying, you know, Iran is willing to like capitulate in this certain sense. With these negotiations or something, no, not Iran, sorry, Syria. Syria. So it was like Putin like stepped in just to help alleviate that pressure to give to make it seem like Obama wasn't like backing down or something, or or basically, so Obama didn't seem like weak that he was like, I'm going to go with this option. I don't really know, but it was like yeah. some backdoor deal that was. But I don't think Obama actually wanted to go in because he was forced and you know his hands were tied
1: i mean i yeah i i I, i'm willing to give him just a tiny bit of credit and say that he actually reversed himself because he maybe felt like at maybe towards the very end that he was being misled down the wrong path by his advisors Mm -hmm. or whoever else and if what clinton hillary clinton says is true it was his sole decision not to pull the trigger on that he backed down it was it was strange. I mean, there actually is a timeline on YouTube that that goes through Obama's red line Syria comments, and it's kind of fascinating to see the evolution of what, you know, when that happened and then how it stopped so quickly. Um, and but I mean, no one, you know, if that was if Putin stepped in to help alleviate the pressure from Obama, I mean, everyone in the U.S. media spun that to mean that Obama was like weak and and just like of capitulating course. to Putin. And then now, in retrospect, everyone you know sees that as the moment where, like, you know, P- Putin got this idea in his mind that he could just do, you know, whatever. There or that he was actually like a world player again, or whatever. Yeah. Because we can't stop U.S. hegemony. Like, we can't let another uh, another nation like step in and try to like you know. Nu- well, I
0: don't have. I talked to you about this before. I wanted to ask you why do you think. Um, and that's just kind of a rhetorical question because I kind of know, <laughs> is that why are we feeding into this whole Cold War resurrection in in this like post-Cold War climate where we're... I mean, Russia is capitalist. Russia is an oligarchy. Russia, like... And, and this goes in line with like Venezuela kind of too, which is that we're still buying the oil.
1: It's not about... I mean, capitalism only plays one part in it. I think there's a whole other game taking place over like that's happening at the same time so there's the capitalist game where you have like almost no allegiances in terms of Mm -hmm, ideology mm -hmm. it's all about money so in terms of like nation states that have communism or capitalism it doesn't fucking really matter it's just like where's the money can we get the money and so like when it comes to the cold war resurrection i feel like even during the cold war it was never really about um the ideology of communism necessarily as it was about making sure that the United States had a stake in the game and was like keeping their power play Visible, like as much as possible, to like just basically maintain and increase the power of the United States.
0: And Russia feeds into it because it makes them look strong. It it makes them more powerful in their own country. Russia's not an economic threat to us. Russia's not, I mean, you can argue that they're military there because they have so many nukes, but like it feeds into their ego. And you know, Putin's like, wow, like the US is paying so much attention to us and feeding into this whole narrative that actually emboldens us. And that's, you know, now is. Um, his approval rating is like 90%. I don't know how fair those numbers are, but it, it makes sense when like the world is attacking you and it's like, we need to hold strong. Like, you know, of course. it's really, really interesting how, it's, I mean, when the, when, as yeah. soon as the
1: United States started to pivot towards attacking Russia, I mean, that probably when it made his approval ratings go off the charts. I mean, it's like, that's exactly what he wants. And that's exactly what, and then we want, um, you know, him to make more, I think, aggressive moves now. It's almost like, um, I think that neocons are really disappointed actually when he seized Crimea and annexed it, that nothing really came of that. Like they were hoping that that would be like the final straw for like the sort of the other factions in DC, but it it wasn't. And, uh, but I think that now it's just all about, um, it's game theory once again. And even when we, the Cold War was over, I don't think even for a second, we might have like maybe tokenistically drawn down our military spending after the cold war. But I think most of the people in the know and really entrenched in this system who really like do the strategic thinking, they knew all along that it was actually like a bad idea in their minds to draw down uh, the military spending after the cold war, because they saw it as an opportunity. Now that there's this vacuum Basically, we need to fill it because if we don't, then the world is going to fall more into this, you know, so-called chaos without the Soviet Union being there to be like this rival, this, this almost like this check and balance against our power. Um, And Robert Kagan and even John Kerry have used the phrase, a bipolar world is more stable than one that's not. And which is just so weird to think that that's how far their thinking goes to the point where I'm sure that. A lot of people, including PNAC, even though maybe they didn't write about Russia as much in the PNAC documents, they knew that destabilizing the Middle East or trying to destabilize the Middle East would eventually lead to a new type of confrontation with Russia. It would have to eventually. I mean, why would right. these Eastern powers all right allow next us? to Russia. Yeah. yeah. Why would these Eastern powers allow us to do all this shit and just keep growing our reach? Right. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, eventually it's going to collide. So it's all about just I think it's all about world um world superpower hegemony and not even like capitalism hegemony, but just like apart from the capitalism, the United States still has this important role to play. Um, you know, at least we keep,
0: think we do, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's uh it's so ingrained. It's American exceptionalism taken to like the most ingrained, reinforced sort of like quasi-intellectual level and it's just like all yeah, game theory out. Unfortunately,
0: people are dying every day because of it. Very yeah. unfortunate. Um, and what we, I, this is a really important point too, is the Tom Cotton letter. It was similar to these letters that you saw f- spearheaded by members of the FBI, Foreign Policy Initiative, like Bill Kristol. So, and we've talked about this before, but in every like wave of like the most military hawkish foreign intervention, militarily have all kind of been spearheaded by like people at the fpi which are all like the most hockey neocons in the dc establishment yeah then whether the afghanistan surge the no-fly zone over libya like basically everything that you can think of right
1: well, and, and this is even crazier. The surge in Iraq was single-handedly devised by Fred Kagan, Robert Kagan's brother. And he's widely credited for that. So, like, they actually brought him into the Pentagon to, like, devise this sp- very specific strategy for a surge. So, it all I mean, almost all of these ideas go back to them. They're the foreign policy think tanks. They're the people who think and theorize about what can we do strategically. I mean, a lot of these people in the Pentagon are not they don't think like this you know i mean even people in the cia don't necessarily think like this it's like they these people create the framework in order for these ideas to take place and to flourish and and these letters that they used to send one in 1998 to clinton to urge him to attack iraq and then another to obama um in 2014 to urge him to provide weapons to ukraine um they're just they just serve to sort of like announce this idea that look all these people really think you should do this and uh we're 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 putting this out there not only to sort of almost shame you but also to create this sort of pressure where now you realize that like you know there's going to be a lot of people like watching you and you know we're sort of making moves and setting up the pieces to like make these things happen so do you want to do them or not because like
0: it's completely yeah. insane also. It's like the whole inviting Netanyahu here. It's like just to it's like they're drafting their own policy and then just putting it out there and being like it's like they're setting the agenda. It's like doesn't matter who's president. They just set it by writing these letters and then you know.
1: Yeah. It's really weird. And I think in part it's because Obama has he has sidestepped to a small degree like the normal traditional Role, I think for a president like he doesn't seem to want to go out there and really um, really like put his like like foot down and like stop shit it seems like he's let a lot of stuff sort of just get out like from under his control or something and it's just odd it's almost like it's just almost like the you know even going down to like the the, you know a whole different side of it like Victoria Newland you know like the fact that she has so much experience in government during this such a key Vital conflict, the Ukraine thing. Just she just happens to be in this position of power. I mean, who do you think really is going to be able to sort of like maneuver, outmaneuver one another? Is it her or Obama in that situation? I mean, if she really, she had some agenda that she wanted to pull off with Ukraine. I'm sure that there would be a way to go over Obama's head or to just do things that he wouldn't even fucking know about because he right, just exactly. it, doesn't have the experience to realize exactly. how these things are done.
0: Someone was asking me last night about... Obama and I was and they were just saying something about how he voted against the Iraq War, but wasn't he not even a senator during the Iraq War vote? Correct. Yeah, so he so even though he voiced voiced opposition to the Iraq War, he think about that. He wasn't even a senator yet. No. He was a senator for like one term. Yeah. I mean, how did he become president? It makes no sense. It's like, of course he's gonna get outmaneuvered by all these people (laughs) that he surrounds himself with. First of all, he surrounded himself by complete hawks because he wanted like this like bipartisan consensus type thing which is what Robert yeah. Kagan and Victoria Nolan love and they think that's a good thing but the problem is that they all usurped him and I'm not I'm not trying to excuse Obama at all it's his fault he knew what the presidency was all about you know but it's it is easy to point blame at him when you're right it, it, it's like all the people around him clearly are so much more advanced And have their hands in so many pots and have been doing this for
1: decades. And think about it from the point of view, too, of like the White House and just a lot of these different federal branches of government were given all this power after Mm -hmm. the Bush administration. And they're not going to give that power up. So, like, it's just, I mean, it makes me wonder, like, how many people in the U.S. government are rogue or just like doing things completely (laughs) on their own. I don't know. I mean it's it's kind of scary to think about but i'm not saying that that to mean that somehow there's moles in the obama administration who've like derailed his like you know presidential um power or anything like that i mean yeah i i mean i think it's undeniable that he was really inexperienced he did not really have a core ideology that's that i could tell that really like you know propelled him into the presidency so it seems very obvious to me that it's very likely that he's just getting fucked around with and, but that's not, yeah, it's not an excuse, but maybe, you know, maybe it was inaccurate to really point all the fingers Mm -hmm. at him too, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's confusing. I mean, it's just like sort of a, I've evolved to this point of view more recently just because of how little he seems like he's actually in control of things, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of weird to say, you know, he is the president, but why is he playing such a passive role? And, not coming to you know not defending himself it's just strange i, I i'm i'm I just think kind of at blown this away point,
0: by it i know i think at this point well he did come out and say that he should have closed guantanamo the first year he was in office yeah you really? should have yeah
1: he said that okay yeah well, maybe, so, so he, so it's he, almost so he like admits he's...
0: that he was like fear-mongered like he admits that he fucked up which completely isn't an excuse he could still close it today so that's where you know people aren't talking about that but it is funny that he's like just saying that he was bullied he is saying that
1: that's it is it is weird I mean the so the Netanyahu thing happens the you know this letter to Ron, him um getting in this sort of this weird sparring match with Netanyahu never thought that would happen with the Obama administration I mean in a million years I would have never predicted even even if it's all bullshit that yeah. that, that would have been like a news headline you know like mean looking pictures of Obama and Netanyahu like next yeah. to each other on newspapers I mean that's kind of unprecedented it's weird it is and again it's confusing because i don't know if it's real or not you know so yeah it's She's just like, like once what? again the
0: policy hasn't changed so it's like is yeah, this all just money. making like liberal zionism look better you know because we know that obama's a zionist so it's it is very confusing and that brings us to shane smith from vice magazine's interview with obama it was a much hyped interview sit down I only saw like one 18 minute clip. I don't know if there's actually more. I think it was probably like cut up and released in different parts, but you know, he pulled like a Luke Radowski where he's like, tell me what to ask him kind of thing. Like he said, give me your questions. So it was like when you're pulling questions from the audience, I was like, Oh, like there's absolutely no excuse that he didn't see hard questions. But then again, We know that every interview with the president's obviously completely vetted. Everything's pre-taped. Nothing's live. So that alone, that he didn't ask hard questions on camera, isn't surprising to me. Um, But the problem is he should have, if that's how it went down, like if he actually showed Obama these like adversarial questions and Obama was like, we're not going to do that, then... I think in all fairness, this is what I would do if I was in a position, I would preface the interview by saying we had questions on this, this and this, but they didn't get vetted or like we weren't able to ask them. Everything that you see is, is, was a vetted, um, all accepted pre-accepted conditions all these interv- um, all these interview questions that at least you're explaining to your audience that maybe you had more that you weren't allowed to do do you know what i mean
1: yeah but i i mean it seemed to me like you was just really pro like I'm giving him the total fan. benefit
0: of the doubt. No, 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 yeah. he is a hundred percent. You can tell he was, it was like very glorifying the whole interview, but I, that's what I was just saying. If like, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like I know <laughs> that the, the interview is a vetted experience, but like he should have, if, if that was a concern of his, which it clearly wasn't.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that it's, I mean, I think they're really, really, really excited to finally have this kind of access. They've worked so hard and for so long trying to build themselves up to be this more legit news venue that now they finally made it. I mean, what more do you want to be a legitimate taken seriously news source and to get a sit down interview with the president of the United States? I mean, that's the top, like what else do you want from there? So, um, that's, that's where they've been or going to get
0: visits from Biden. Yeah. Rant randomly. Yeah. And, Happens. um,
1: yep. And, um, and you know how I feel about vice. I have a lot of feelings about them, but I mean, I've, I've been, Wait, just waiting for them to become more and more obviously, you know, pro some kind of side of the establishment, like we've seen hints of before. And I just feel like that's just another example of them doing that. Um, and and not to say that they don't do good journalism. I mean, Jason Leopold's shit is fucking great. Most of the stuff he does is, is, per, is like totally dead on. Um, but yeah, I don't, I definitely don't look towards to them for like good, critical content especially their video stuff to me it just takes on a more like kind of like oh this is like weird and shocking and crazy a lot of the stuff that's by people who are like probably i've never like people i've never even heard of before they there does seem to be more of an editorial like a i don't want to say a systematic one but almost like an editorial line that is sort of followed and i don't know and it takes on this more like wow look how fucking crazy depraved and fucked up this country is kind of a thing most of the time but then the other times it's just like yeah they like they will not offer context about isis you know and stuff like that so it's it's i just don't think that their stuff is hard-hitting as far as like uh adversarial journalism is concerned i mean their gitmo special I thought was shockingly apologetic, even though it was very slickly done and looked really like edgy, you know, the shaky cam and stuff. So I don't know. I don't, I just don't trust them as a, as a news source. I mean, they're they're like more of an infotainment source for me. Like I like some of the stuff they do on, uh, you know, non-political things.
0: Yeah. I'm not really sure either. I mean, I'm, I, I obviously I go to vice all the time and I watch their stuff and Um, But yeah, I mean, it's obvious that Shane and whoever else he's hired to put under him have, you know, more generic neoliberal viewpoint on Russia, Ukraine, all these different things. So it wasn't too surprising to not see him really ask any hard questions about drones or stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's just so funny and one sided too. I watched this interview with him where... He was asked what he thinks about what's going on in Ukraine right now. And he's like, well, Ukraine is really fascinating because in Russia, um, the propaganda over there against the U.S. is at a Cold War level. It's like all really like hostile and stuff. And while he's saying this, I was just remembering back to how many times Vice focused on Russia. In in negative ways You know Not to say that the coverage They were giving Pussy Riot Or the Gay Law Was fictional But it did take on Like a propagandistic bent Where it did seem like It was just oddly Disproportionately focused on You know Like they never did that many Like they had did like Something like 70 Russian roulette specials Or something I mean Like a really Huge amount of coverage Just for Ukraine And if you watch Most of them there's no way that you can argue that they're giving, that it's not slightly leaning towards a pro-US direction, an anti-Russian direction. It's just inarguable. It, that's what the direction it's going in.
0: Well, have they ever done an episode about US and Ukraine?
1: No, not, well, no, no, not at no. all. I mean... I mean, I don't even know if they addressed the Victoria Nuland thing, you know? I mean, and what was... I'd say what was most suspicious to me originally that made it to me seem like they were going along with this anti-Russian propaganda wave is they were doing... They did like a, a Sochi Olympic special with that same guy who went into Ukraine and he was just going around being really rude to all these like Olympic officials, like saying like, why is the Olympics so corrupt? And like, why is Russia's Olympics so corrupt? Can you explain it? And like, just being like really almost like childish and kind of snide. And I was just like, what is this? This seems really propagandistic. And I, the Ukraine's, uh, Russian roulette specialists seem more sort of fair and balanced. And then I realized, oh, that's the same guy from that Sochi thing. Why is he doing this? And then I just kind of noticed over time, it was always sort of, there would always be something that would, you know, sort of explain that Russia invaded Crimea by covering their insignias. And, you know, they're so paranoid, um, and all just shit like that. And, Yeah, never once mentioned the U.S. meddling, Victorian Newland, um, Jeffrey Pyatt, nothing like that that I know of. So it's a shame. I mean, and it's it's a shame that we're going into a new Cold War mentality because journalism in general, if it's fueled by sort of this hegemonic uh, system... Like vice seems to be getting closer to then it's all going to be more propagandistic by default because it's like the that's what the like that's what the cold war was like i mean it was like all news coverage became more sort of jingoistic you know I don't know. I don't even know if I'm making sense, but that's, I think that that's just going to be the default if we move closer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what foreign policy thing, because it's going to be like, oh, well, there's another country out there that's like way worse than the U.S. It's Russia. So like, you know, not we got to be like softer on the U.S. now. I mean, it's just like a general thing. I think people will fall in line to not be as critical um, towards the leaders here. Well, yeah, I mean, and that just
0: brings me to House of Cards, which is... I haven't watched it disclaimer, but I, the only reason that I haven't watched it. And I was like super stoked. I was like, I'm going to binge watch house of cards. I'm, I don't have a job right now. And I was like, I can't wait. And then I just heard everyone who I respect, including you t- tell me how disappointing it was and how much it kind of fell in line with everything we're talking about now. And I'm now I'm just like scared to watch it cause I'm just going to be disappointed. And it's just really unfortunate. And they had neoliberal like as crazy as Frank Underwood and if you haven't seen any House of cards, you can fast forward because I'm gonna say a spoiler but I just find it hard to believe that a politician who killed a journalist himself <laughs> would be like the sympathetic character It makes no sense and then and then I read that they had like neoliberal advisors on the on the script for the season uh, three who they have some like neoliberal politician advisors or something
1: really yeah okay i didn't I, I did not uh hear about that Yeah, i'd like to read read up on that i mean i i just know that i was excited to watch it because i had heard about that it was going to have some kind of um you know russian plot i had heard from you that rt might be in it like that's what i think someone at your work said that like that was going to happen and it didn't end up happening um so I thought there was going to be like some plot in House of Cards season three that would revolve around sort of like the media, um, you know, the weird media wars have been happening, like the Russian media and the American media, you know, Pussy Riot was in it. Um, and I remember Paul Joseph Watson wrote, or he did like a video report a couple months ago saying how he, he, uh, he has information about how that new House of Cards season is going to be anti-Russian propaganda and I was like, what? I like, thought it was like a ridiculous claim because mm-hmm. I, I had sort of read the same things he did and I didn't infer that from it. But he, I mean, he was right all along. I mean, I don't know what evidence he had to speculate that, but he was totally right because it was. Like the, the whole season, Frank Underwood becomes way more like humanized. He has, um, and yeah, don't listen to this, like fast forward, like 10 minutes. If you haven't watched this season and you don't want to be spoiled, we're going to give away a lot of shit, um... But yeah, he, he's all of a sudden, um, now that he's president in season three, he's all of a sudden worried about killing, you know, innocent people in a drone strike. He has all this emotions about it. Claire uh, goes to Russia with him um, to meet with the Russian president, um, to meet this with this gay dissident that's in prison for breaking the Russian, uh, you know, gay propaganda law. And he kills himself in prison because Claire wants him to write this letter that, basically says he apologizes to the Russian president and he refuses to do it. I mean, so Claire feels all conflicted and all upset that she, because she wanted this gay dissident to violate his principles, um, he killed himself. She's all upset and feels all conflicted about that. And is really mad and resentful at Frank for not standing up for this gay dissident more. And so there's this weird subplot that, just out of the gates makes no sense because here's a woman, a character who we've seen in previous seasons threatened to murder the unborn child of like one of her employees. Um, do you remember that? And, uh, and Frank, of course he murdered his, uh, his fuck buddy and his like the reporter he was leaking things to. He just threw her in front of a train. Um, he had his assistant, um, basically try to murder a woman who was like a prostitute that was hired to ruin uh, the career of that one politician. I don't remember his name now from season one. Um, oh, and yeah. And Frank, like, you know, the opening scene of House of Cards, the season one was him breaking a dog's neck uh, mm-hmm. on the street. Um, so it's just really odd to me that season three, even if they wanted to paint Russia as being evil and worse than us, like why they would make at the same time they would make Frank Underwood seem so much nicer and more concerned and serious about government. I mean, the only negative thing they portrayed about him was he was trying to stop entitlements and social security, but like, they never really explained like why, if he was being like lobbied by corporations, it was just seemed like it was just his own idea. It was, it was just really toothless. And, um, very disappointing and they huge missed opportunity I thought where they could have shown how stupid and and like the power plays that both superpowers do during like the sort of cold war kind of tensions but instead it was just made it seem like the U.S. was really blindsided by this Russian president and sort of intimidated by him and he was just so much more you know powerful than sort of the both of them and and uh, yeah
0: so dumb
1: and then Pussy Riot was in it. And um, oh, God. at first it seemed like they were going to use them in an interesting way. Like Frank Underwood used them to, to bludgeon the Russian president to make him look bad. But in the end, it was kind of like almost just, uh, I don't know. It was just kind of a mess. It was boring. Um, just really huge missed opportunity. I thought it would have been really interesting to have the president of the United States in a TV show, be a murder, uh, you know, be an actual, like, active of murder. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they, I, I don't think they were able to go that far. I think something sort of stopped them where they thought, do we really want to portray the sitting president of the United States as, like, a sociopathic killer? And they decided, no, they didn't. But, I mean, it would have made more of an interesting show to me if they just would have kept him like that. I don't know of course
0: well that's why people loved it so much right because it really displayed this utter sociopathy that drives of course it was like hyperbolic obviously yeah, it was like people so are so like evil. killing journalists like themselves you know you that's what you hire people for I'm sure but <laughs> um but I mean, yeah, that that's why people were so like into it, including myself. I was just like, this is any like you didn't even know if he was like a Republican or Democrat. It was like purposefully obfuscated because it made it just seem like everyone's that corrupt. And yeah, it's all just about like these power plays and stuff. So it is really disappointing. And I thought that there was going to be a third and final season balls to the wall where he was going to like get assassinated or something crazy was going to happen. But now I found out that there's a fourth season and they probably just... We're told, you know, the access or whatever. I mean, they do have all these mainstream reporters. They have, like, cameos from politicians yeah. and stuff. That, and now they have these neoliberal advisors. It's like they just infiltrated the process and changed the show. And, unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. I I will watch it. I just I just don't have any desire to now, you know. I was really excited and now I'm not. But it just goes in line with all of the other propaganda that we're being peddled with on a daily basis. About Russia is just unbelievable. It's unbelievable.
1: It um, really is. I mean, I'm I'm following. I used to be following. I got too annoyed. But there's this really dedicated Facebook account page called "Boycott Russia Today." That's like posts like five articles a day. And mm-hmm. this, and um, you know, like the person is very dedicated to to this. And I still see through this this Facebook page a ton of stuff coming through. Um, that's written every day that still mentions RT and Russian media propaganda. So and then that's meanwhile, the-
0: there's this Columbia Journalism School actual project done by like dozens of students, overseen by professors, actually wasting time at school in this journalism university to follow "quote unquote" follow RT and like watch them. The blog is so funny too because it's like it's just like dumb. It's like one blog post about how RT was obsessing about citizen four. And it didn't mention this like anti-Russian documentary that was nominated. And it's like, okay, it's just like really childish kind of criticisms. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: I mean, I didn't even hear about that. So the U S media made a bigger deal about citizen four too. So that's, that's like a yeah, non-issue. Exactly. So it is dumb. totally
0: not. That, that's like, that's like an example of what, how they're watching RT and then they but I mean I will give them credit they did interview me and they published the interview in full which was great and I just kind of pointed out how absurd it was for one of the professors running an RT watch blog to be unabashedly promoting Radio Free Europe and Voice of America I mean oh, did she not say understand that, in that, there? that those are huh yeah yeah
1: oh, what was the response did anybody
0: no but he published it I just wrote to give you an example of how like hypocritical this entire state media watchdog organization is the professors running it have no problem with like lapping up u.s state department propaganda We're, if they think that that is a problem
1: yeah that's i mean it's even worse if they don't even realize it's u.s right. state department i mean it's fucking weird but i guess did did they like did they just post those articles like radio for europe articles like on their site sometimes or so something it was
0: like the woman who was running it who wrote this really bizarre takedown of my last episode. It's like anyone who could watch the last episode of Breaking the Set and actually write like a hit piece on it, like a Kerchick and a her, something is wrong with you. (laughs) Like you could tell that she had never watched any of my shows. She basically just said it was like this huge like thing all about me and it was just like she like it was just like this unhinged rant about like how how I'm just so important and stuff I was like what What? the fuck yeah
1: it was very weird it was like your emotional like um, (laughs) like closing episode of your like three year to long television yeah it was like an
0: epilogue of 534 (laughs) episodes I'm sorry you (laughs) dumbass but it was just like so dumb you could tell that she had no idea what she was talking about but then I went to her Twitter page because I saw that she had written this article and she had just like keeps posting all these like radio you for Europe articles. And I'm just like, what? Anyway, That's, it's just funny that like, they don't have any problem with the corporate media. It's like just RT. It's just so dumb. It's so well, yeah. Stupid. I mean, it's,
1: it's definitely like a totally manufactured, like scapegoat thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, and then maybe, I mean, in a lot of ways, maybe it's people who are just angry that, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get like too like ahead of myself with with the, like the way I'm describing this, but like that's, there's like a guy in one of the foreign policy initiative talks who describes what Russia's media apparatus does as they create phase one operations in all these different countries to try to get the populations to rebel against the governments. But it, what it sounded like is he's describing exactly what we do. And I mean, maybe this is just, I think the reason people some of these people get so easily fixated on like RT being a propaganda network is because they see how threatening it is to like the mm-hmm. the um, the sort of status quo here that like maybe some of them voted for Obama and they don't like how anti-Obama or just how hard RT goes after Obama for real things like things that aren't fake you know like they can handle and they can really easily argue I'm sure with people who are like mentioning Benghazi all the time and stuff but when it comes to like if they see something on RT they're probably kind of like shocked and a little bit blindsided they don't really know how to respond to stuff they see about their own government on it so it's almost just like a reflexive defense like oh it's all propaganda it's like, well, really? Because I think you might have just seen something that might have, you know, affected you a little bit. Like, are you oh, yeah. scared? Where Those are you scared criticisms of,
0: are only levied by people who are totally threatened. Their conventional wisdom and worldview are completely threatened by the things that are presented on RT. So that, that is what I've found. It's like the knee-jerk reactionary critique that's just levied. I mean, it's yeah. just actually really sad.
1: Or people who know... How effective it actually right. is? Who are who are want right. like, like to yeah, like drive exactly. like Jamie a
0: Yeah, Yeah. Um. Well, let's wrap it up.
1: What else? Uh, do I we mean, ever... I wanted
0: to talk about Cuba and Venezuela, but the thing is, people could just watch. I mean, I just did a huge podcast with Mark Weisbrot all about Venezuela because of course Obama just declared Venezuela a national security threat because I know everyone's terrified of Venezuelan soldiers coming in and occupying our towns and shit. So we got to keep up on that one. (laughs) Got to keep Venezuela at bay. Um, so So check out that podcast. I'll link to it right now. And then also I'm posting the three part Cuba series that I just did, um, as the finale for breaking the set. So if you haven't seen that series, definitely check that out. Um, instead of me just kind of rehashing all of it here. So just check that out. Um, I'll link to that on the timeline and that's pretty much the only other two things that I felt like were pretty crucial right now to talk about, but that's it.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I I think we're
0: pretty much covered everything. Yeah.
1: Um think- please
0: donate to org. I you know as all of you know I don't have a steady income right now and my brother and I work really hard to put this podcast on and we want to start doing regular podcasts like 3 a week. I mean once we get it really going and I get the equipment all set up. So with your support we can make that happen and we really want to provide kind of in-depth long-form discussions about All of these issues and finding different guests that can really go in depth and and provide a lot of context that's necessary to really understand them. So um, and we'll continue, obviously, to do the podcast with just us um, much more frequently. So please donate to MediaRoots.org. We're also putting up a Bitcoin donation link that should be active in the next week. Um, check out abbymartin.org for my art Um, and yeah tweet to us at fluorescent gray and at abby martin just to give us your thoughts and once you donate to media roots please write we're we're kind of trying to figure out feedback for the site if you could write in the description why you're donating like you know you listen to a podcast or you love media roots radio tell us because we really want to know you know where people are getting the information from and we really love the feedback so please do that and uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, and uh, we're going to keep doing it.
0: Keep on keeping on. Yeah. See. See.